Welcome to episode 40 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. I know one psychologist here in Brisbane who's actually a family therapist who's been uh, suspended three times for boundary violations. And again, this is a therapist who is married with children who three times has been caught having relationships with clients. Hi, I'm Rowan, and today we're speaking with Phil Armstrong, the CEO of the Australian Counselling Association, or the ACA, which is the largest Australian peak body for counsellors and psychotherapists. We've had a bit of a delay in getting started with our podcasts for this year. I actually went to Europe over Christmas, I got COVID and had to delay my flights and ended up getting stuck without any recording equipment. So our plan is to release monthly episodes from this point forward. If you'd like to hear from anyone in particular or about any particular theme, please let us know at hey at talklink.com.au. Today we're talking to Phil about the ethics of client-patient dynamics and what happens when a clinician develops romantic feelings towards their client or vice versa. Phil, as the head of the ACA, is in the perfect position to provide some guidance and boundaries on these sorts of ethical questions. As you'll hear from our conversation, Phil draws on his own clinical experience, as well as that of their 7,000 members. Today's podcast is brought to you by talklink.com.au, a modern and approachable mental health directory, helping Australians connect with the right mental health practitioner. All the practitioners, so that's psychologists, psychotherapists and counsellors, are available to see clients straight away, so no waiting lists. They're all independent, licensed and insured, and available for online or in-person consultations. In fact, you can find many excellent clinicians on talklink.com.au who are registered with the ACA. The great thing about TalkLink is that you can see a short video of the therapist to get to know them a little, check out their training and experience, as well as their pricing in a transparent way to decide if this is the right person to connect with. Okay, let's dive in. All right, Phil, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Yourself? Very well. It's great to have you with us again and and great to have your experience and perspective. you, you've clearly, you represent so many people and you've got your own history and experience. What sorts of emotional dynamics can we start to see in the client and clinician relationship? Yeah, Ron, it, it's, I mean, as, 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 you, as you pointed out, the, the counselling is, uh, is unique in the sense that it allows a person the freedom to enter into a relationship and a conversation with another person um, with uh, an understanding that there's, there's no judgment, um, it's uh, empathy, it's, uh, it's a relationship. Uh, so there is already that understanding there is a relationship being developed, but there's going to be no judgment and everything is on the table. You can talk about whatever you want, um, however you want. Um, and it's about looking at how those uh, issues and how each one impacts on your life. Uh, is it having a negative, positive impact on you? All those sorts of things that. That, that, uh, that sort of relationship is unique. I mean, even uh, with our loved ones, um, we, we feel safe majority of times, but we still know we're being judged. I mean, there is always that in the back of your mind, even if it's uh, you know, your parents, your, even your, your, your partners. Um, there are certain areas where you know, because they've voiced their opinions uh, in the past, you know that some things, uh, if you bring it up, there's gonna be some judgment there. And, and that always stifles a, a, a discussion and it can get in the way of a relationship to a degree. Mm. I, I guess it's rare for people to necessarily be close to someone that's a great listener, an active listener. I mean, listening skills, just for a start, is pretty rare. Um, but in a client 
um, clinician dynamic, the clinicians really listening to them. And I mean, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on like, what, what does it do to someone if they are not used to being really listened to and they're with someone who's really listening to them? Yeah, this is when when the uh, you know, when we talk about the, the relationship. I mean, there, there are several types of relationships that clients will form uh, with therapists, particularly when they're not used to being listened to. And that is, uh, I mean, you can have a, a friendship develop, which is, which is fine. That that's that's easy to negotiate through. Um, it can get a little bit more complex when maybe they start looking at you as a parent, uh, because you know you're not, uh, you're not a parent. So they start looking at you as a parent. Uh, being uh, wisdom wise, having answers, and the sort of things we expect from parents. So, so that can come uh, from looking at it as being a parent. The uh, one where we get the real entanglements and, and the boundaries become issues is when we really do get somebody who is just not uh, used to being listened to and they misconstrue the fact that the therapist is listening to them, not being judgmental, uh, offering that relationship. It then turns into an emotional relationship. So, um, it could be uh, one of um, so somebody starting to develop um, relationship feelings um, or a perceived sense of love, um, all those sorts of things, simply due to the fact that somebody is listening. And if you think about it, and if you have somebody who's been in a, uh, an abusive relationship, and it doesn't matter whether it's male or female, but somebody's been in an abusive relationship most of their adult life, they, they've never had anybody show respect, they've never had people listen to their ideas, they uh, are constantly put down and suddenly they're sitting in a room with somebody who is showing respect, who is not judging them, who is listening, who is showing a sense of caring about what they're doing and what they're, what they're saying and, and why they're there. Um, that can be very quickly misconstrued from being a, a professional relationship of the talk and therapies into one of an emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. Does that happen often? Uh, look, I can say in, in, in 20 years, it's probably happened to me five or six times. Um, I mean, the, the fact that the majority of therapists are females, I don't know if there is a, a gender issue to it, but I would say in my experience, uh, probably 90% of those relationships were women who were in abusive relationships in domestic violence type situations or had been abused as very uh, as, as young, young women. Um, mm. And so... Their, their entire life, males have been predators. Uh, they've been abusive. Um, they've been people who put them down and kept them down. That's how they were able to manipulate them and use them. And suddenly they were with somebody who was demonstrating everything that was the opposite to their, their life experience. They're misconstruing that. Um, I've, had, uh, uh, I've had one where it was actually a young girl um, who had a, a very um, dysfunctional relationship with her father. Um, and uh, had got into abusive relationships because of that. Um, and uh, her relationship with mine started moving in the direction of seeing me as a parent or a father, um, certainly not as a, as a, as a, a partner, um, but as a father. So look, and, and I would suggest that happens the other way around too, when a, a male goes in and there's a, a female, or the, the, the genders are pretty relevant. Um, it's just that when you get into that situation, so uh, it would happen. Any any therapist who's been practicing for a while would have experienced it. Yeah. What the first time that happened to you? Like, uh, were you confused? Did you understand what was happening, or were you like, ah, oh, yes, uh, you know, were you trained? Were you ready for it? <laughs> you do cover it in your training because I mean, it is a two way street. It, it it happens both ways. Because you know, uh, we'll maybe talk about it a little bit later. But but when the therapist is attracted to the client, um, 
but you do train for it. And but I must admit, the first time it happens, um, you are uh, at uh, all at sea. You, you know the theory. <laughs> You've been trained in it. You might have even done some role plays in it. But when it suddenly it does happen, um, yeah, it, you do have to sit back and go, oh, whoa. Um, because, it's, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, therapists are human. It's flattering. Mm. Uh, you can be quite flattered. Oh, this person, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, you've got to quickly put that aside. Think, no, that's that's absolutely not where or how I should be seen. Because a lot of it's what we call transference. It's, it's, it's their, uh, they're projecting this emotional relationship that they wish they could have, and they're putting it onto you as a therapist. So it's projection. So you know it's not real. And you know, all the research has been, it's very clear that, that any relationships that are founded on, on, a, um, on a therapeutical basis don't last, which is why we, we have very strict codes um, about that, because it's not the foundation to build a relationship on. Yeah, right. Um, you touched on something that I kind of just want to go back to. You talked about maybe two versions of this or three versions of this. One where the clinician is attracted to the client or the client is attracted to the clinician or one where both the client and the clinician are attracted to each other at the same time. Do you have any thoughts on the difference between those sorts of dynamics and what that can mean? Yeah, we, we train for the, uh, the dynamic of a client, particularly depending on the, the, on the, the type of client you have. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're a, a more mature age male and you're dealing with a lot of young girls, you know, infatuation. I mean, that's just a normal fact of life. Um, and, and vice versa. As I said, it's not a gender issue, but it's when you're dealing with a young person and you're a bit older, there's an infatuation. So you can expect that. And again, depending on the situation. So that, that is, you're trained to deal with that. And that, that is reasonably, it's not that hard to deal with. And when you talk to your supervisor, you put it on the table. You never you never pretend the elephant's not in the room. Uh, you, you lay it on the table with the, with, the, with the client and say, we need to work through this, talk through it. And really work out is this a real feeling, you know, or is this just a, a point where you know no, no one's ever listened to you before? Um, well, that's not uh, that's not love. Yeah, that is somebody who cares, and, and there are different types of caring. So let's 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 look at the type of caring it is. Those things are, are manageable. When it's the the therapist, and yeah, I certainly I, I've um, as a supervisor, I've certainly had um, supervisors come to me. Um, and, and again, they've had a, a client come in who has been very physically attractive. And, and you know there's an issue because what they do is they start describing the client from a physical perspective, which is something which is very, very rare. I mean, it's not something we do. We don't look at person physically. Um, and we're not there for that for that reason. But as soon as the supervisor says, oh, yeah, she's young and she's really good looking and um, or young yeah, he or whatever, and you go, oh, hold it. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. There's a problem here <laughs> because that is not not how you should be looking at uh, at, at the client. Um, and so again, so you, you have to, to work through that. And in a lot of cases, um, I, I feel it's the um, as long as there it, it, it generally happens at the beginning of a relationship. It starts happening in the middle of one where you've been seeing the client for a fair while. It then becomes very complex. But if it's at the beginning. You can simply say, well, look, maybe you need to refer the client on mm. um, because you've already seen them in this in this vision and you shouldn't be using your client as a learning point. Um, you can learn a lesson from this, but you can't say, well, what I'm going to try and do is not see the client as this, that, and the other because then, you, yeah, as I said, you're, you're basically using the client. Um, you're going into a student learning situation. So uh, you can move on. If it happens in the middle of... Uh, Therapy, then it's then you've got to really delve into what's happening here. 
what, what, what's changed in the relationship? Um, why are you suddenly getting these feelings uh, towards the uh, towards the client or the client's getting them towards you? Then, then it's, it's a lot more difficult because that referral, you don't want to suddenly break the relationship when there's a lot of work being done. So again, that, that has to be worked through within supervision. When it's both, that's when it really is a, becomes a problem because trying to talk rationale and common sense to two people who are in love, very difficult. Mm. Um, and I'm sure we've all had friends or siblings or, or we've had kids or whatever where we, we've seen the fall in love with someone and it doesn't matter what anybody says, regardless of how destructive you might see that relationship being or or uh, you, you feel it's not healthy, you can't, you can't talk sense. Um, and we know there's hormones and there's chemicals and, and we know love is not something that, there's not a lot of rationality in love. But when it's in a therapeutic sense, then uh, as a supervisor, you have to step in because it, it can't happen. As I said, the, the, the one thing we know is that um, these relationships don't work out. And, uh, you know, I've had, uh, I've had cases where we've had uh, therapists, oh, no, this is different. Uh, and it's always, it's, it's always, a, what, what's not different is the statement, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you get, oh, no, this is different. You know, you go, well, no, it's not. Uh, everybody says that, and it's not different. You can't build a, a foundation of a relationship on the basis of somebody coming to you, laying their life bare, laying their soul bare, because the problem is they're going to continue in that relationship thinking that's what they can do. Now, you know, there's a reason why therapists burn out. Uh, there's a reason why we have, uh, and we generally say you shouldn't see or you shouldn't be doing more than 20 hours client contact a week because as a human being, you, you can't. Uh, it, it is too much to expect a person to be leaving themselves open for an extended period of time. Uh, emotionally, we're not built that way. And look, as much as we all like to think we're not judgmental, we're all judgmental. Anybody who bakes, anybody goes to a shopping, uh, goes shopping and chooses one brand over another, you've been judgmental. Uh, yeah, you've made a judgment. We're all judgmental. So to enter into a relationship where one party believes that you're going to be non, you know, non-judgmental 24 by 7 for years. That's totally and utterly unrealistic. That is not going to happen. And as soon as that judgment comes in, then the relationship is, is in jeopardy. Let alone if it's, uh, you know, we do know that there are therapists who will set clients up. Um, so we have predators come into this, this industry, like every industry. We have, our, our, um, we have people coming to for the wrong reason. There's not a lot, but it certainly happens. You have a predator will come into the industry. And we'll pray. Uh, I remember one case we had was um, uh, a male, and he was actually a chaplain, and he used to do EAP work at the mines. And because of the why the, uh, the 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 women were in the minority in the mines, and a lot of them did have bullying issues and that, um, he would make relationships with the women uh, in the mines very very easily. Um, and he did uh, all the mines up through New South Wales and Queensland, and we had. Uh, a complaint come in about an abusive relationship, and we had another one, and we had another one, and we had another one. So we ended up with five different complaints, and it just started snowballing. Then we found out that he was actually under investigation by one of the mines in any case, and he just had multiple relationships um, all up the coast at uh, each of these mines. Um, mm. and he was just a predator, a predator. And he, he went in there for a reason, and he was very specific, working EAPs, working in the mines, being able to isolate these women put him in, in uh, you know, developed relationships in a situation where he felt he was safe, that the word wasn't going to get out because they were, you know, in, in, uh, in out in regional areas and, and isolated areas. So 
And he'd been doing it for several years before it finally blew up in his face. But you, you do it, get people coming to you intentionally come in because they know we weren't the vulnerable. What happened to him? Oh, we deregistered him um, and he lost his job and uh, he was, uh, the mines blackballed him. So his, uh, his name went down with the mines. Um, but uh, unfortunately, he didn't go to jail because that's one of the issues. It's, it's, you know, there's nothing illegal about this. It's, it's immoral and un- unethical. And obviously, from a, a practice perspective, uh, we have a very, very strong code in counselling, uh, particularly Australian Counselling Association, is that you cannot develop a relationship with an ex-client. With an ex-client? Yeah. Um, so what, what we said, well, there's two rules to it. First one is you cannot have a relationship with a client that you currently see. No reason. It's just, that's it, black and white. Um, second one is you can't have a relationship with a client um, unless there has been a minimum period of two years total non-contact. Now, that means no SMSs, no emails. It means no nothing. And we've never had that happen. Now, what we have had is we've had um, we've had people cease relationships, professional relationships with clients, then enter into a relationship with them and say, oh, but, I, but they weren't my client. But that's why we have the code um, minimum two years because what happens is they groom them whilst they're the client. So they're grooming them for a relationship, then they cease the professional relationship, then they enter into, and it's usually um, usually a sexual relationship um, they, they enter into. Um, it's... Uh, so when it comes to the boundary violations, we, we have far more um, sexual violations than we do um, financial. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some who, who do it for financial reasons, uh, but certainly the sexual is, is more more common. Mm. Gosh. Um, I, I A part of me feels really uncomfortable by this idea that a therapist can develop an emotional relationship with the client and vice versa, but particularly that direction. And I, I sort of feel taken into two directions. The one is I admire the fact that you can talk about it so professionally and so openly and so transparently and that the ACA and, and other organizations have put measures in place to manage it. And then at the other at the other end of the spectrum, I just want to avoid having the conversation because I'm finding it a little bit uncomfortable. Why... I mean, do you think I'm unique in having that reaction or do you think that's a fairly common reaction that people just want to avoid this topic? Um, look, it, it is not a, a topic that um, is, uh, is is had often, um, probably not often enough, even in, uh, even in training. Uh, I know uh, when I was doing lecturing at university, you know, it wasn't something we spent a lot of time on. We, we, we did cover it in ethics, but there wasn't a lot of time spent on it. Now, when you have a look at boundary violations, if you go to the... Uh, uh, the complaints mechanism under the HCCC or any of those. Um, I mean, the, the biggest abuses are GPs. Uh, and, and to be, and to be oh, absolutely, if you're going to have a look at uh, complaints, um, but to be fair to GPs, put it into perspective, they see more clients on an average than just about any other professional. Remembering uh, a GP seeing you know, three or four people uh, in an hour uh, and they're doing that you know, three or five days a week. So they're seeing a lot of people. So from a, uh, a statistical perspective, although even statistically, there's still more than any others, um, but uh, you certainly, uh, you know, psychiatrists are up there and, and when you have a look at the number of psychiatrists, there's not a lot. Um, and uh, absolutely, uh, psychologists, there's a uh, psychologist far um, outweigh counsellors when it comes to professional complaints of these sorts. Hmm. Um, 
uh, and I'm not too sure why that is. Um, their trading is a little bit different to ours, but certainly if you want to do it on a per head per population, how many are out there actually practicing uh, same counselors, there's, there's far more psychologists get uh, boundary violation complaints against them than uh, counselors. We had one in uh, Queensland, and I think this is part of the, part of the reason it happens. Um, was uh, not long ago we had a, a, a was a, a psychologist and she was working in the prison system, and uh, she had a relationship with an inmate there who she was uh, she was giving therapy to. So it was a, obviously an absolute boundary violation, not only because it was uh, within the prison system, but this was her client in any case. Now she was also married, um, and and people often say, "Oh, what's that got to do with it?" Well, I think it has something to do because I mean it, it's an extension of your ethics. Um, mm. You know, you're, you have got into a marriage and you have sworn that you will be faithful to a partner and yet you have now also got into an extramarital affair. But I think what makes it different for therapy is, and one of the reasons why ACA is so strict on it is, from our perspective, it's premeditated. You were, you, were, you were taught it as a student. You were taught about the ethical outcome. You talk about violations, boundary violations. You practice it in role plays. So when you enter into a relationship with a client as a therapist, you know you're doing wrong. This is this is not. I didn't know. Uh, no one told me. Uh, I had no idea. This is something that is covered extensively in your training. So you do it with that in mind. Say it's premeditated. No matter how you want to look at it, you know you should not be in that relationship. And nine out of ten times they don't tell their supervisor. Why don't they tell the supervisor? Because they know what they're doing is wrong. That it, it's unethical. So I think being in a relationship at the same time whilst doing that. I think it just shows an extension of uh, of a weakness of well, there's a there's a there's something happening within their uh, within their boundaries, and so but the, the outcome of this was that she got suspended by the uh, by the um, the psychology board. Now, if she'd been a counsellor, she'd have been deregistered for life. Now, as a as a psychologist, she simply got uh, deregistered. Uh, she got uh, put on. She was put on suspension for six months. Um, and then had to undergo therapy, but was allowed to practice again. Now, um, I know one psychologist here in Brisbane who's actually a family therapist who's been uh, suspended three times for boundary violations. And again, this is a therapist who is married with children who three times has been caught having relationships with clients. And one of the reasons I know is because he tried to join ACA um, because he was suspended as a psychologist. So he tried to uh, to uh, to get registration as a counsellor and, and say, so, you know, uh, what these people don't understand is we actually do background checks. Uh, you know, there are lists of, of suspensions and uh, we know how to find out how, how they work. Uh, they're very difficult to find. Uh, if you as a, a lay person want to find out, um, has there been uh, some sort of, uh, as your therapist, um, who's a psychologist, have they uh, had a complaint? You know, try, try finding out, A, if they have, and if you do find out they have, try finding out what the circumstances are. You will struggle. ACA, totally totally transparent. Yeah, I mean that's that's great to hear. Um, I mean it, the same goes for GPs, right? If you walk into a GP's clinic or or a surgeon's office, you're assuming that the regulator is going to protect you and has your best interests at heart. But um, I think you're painting a valid image where there may be more sinister issues there that that, that are just not adequately addressed. This uh, and, and I know we're talking about relationships, but this this does bring into contention. This 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 absolute mythical, un totally unsubstantiated. Uh, you, you, it, even the research 
works against it. This belief that because a profession is regulated means that they have high standards, um, they're more ethical, they're more accountable, uh, and so on. It's abs- it is just a, it's a myth that is painted by regulated professions because there is no research anywhere in the world that supports that contention. And if you go into complaint systems, you will find that it's actually the regulated professions have just as many, if not more, complaints made against them than the unregistered. Now, in Australia, we have the HCCC, which um, uh, is uh, is legislated. So to say, oh, well, that's because we're, because we're regulated, people have a way, somewhere to go for complaints. Absolutely not true. Um, because in Australia, in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and South Australia, we had that, and the HCCC has been rolled out throughout Australia. So, and that's a legislative body. Um, and anybody can complain about a councillor to uh, either the HCCC, to a peak body, or to the state um, health regulators, the ombudsman, or, or the, uh, you know, the, the each state and territory has its own ethical complaints. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair that's a fair observation. And just to untangle some of that for anyone um, listening, I think you're reacting to the fact that psychologists are regulated by a government body, APRA, and they have their code of ethics. And technically, councils are not regulated by a government body, but they've got a peak body in this case, ACA, um, and um, I, I mean, I think that, I think there's a couple of players in Australia, right? But all these peak bodies have similar codes of conduct and codes of ethics that they enforce to their members. So whilst they don't have the government's force, they do have a um, a body's registration or deregistration. I mean, do you think that's a fair summary yeah. of, of that landscape? Just just for anyone listening that may not be across that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, you'll find that the peak bodies are far, the, the peak bodies in the self-regulating, we call them self-regulating against government regulator. So APRA is the government regulator for psychology um, and um, psychiatry and, and so on and so forth, whereas counselling uh, comes under, uh, and so the social work comes under being self-regulated. Um, so we actually have a far more um, transparent complaints process. Uh, it certainly um, sounds like it. And uh, yeah, well, we have a list on our website. You go to you go to our website. We've got a list of unregistered or deregistered councils. The names of this public knowledge. Try and find one for GPs or psychologists. I mean, you can see a GP, and again, not being necessarily. I'm not being. I want to pick on GPs, but 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 the the what I'm talking about transparency. The problem is. You can see a GP as a drug addict, and you don't—they don't have to tell you. Um, they can be under—they can be under rehab and still be practicing. Um, we we have a very strict code uh, within counselling that if you are, if you're on addictive drugs um, or uh, or anything like that, um, a, you have to be suspended from practice, or um, if you can uh, you can actually put in for a a, a, a separate. Um, code and you can um, be allowed to practice under certain conditions but one of those conditions is you have to have absolute transparency in your clients so your clients have to know so if you've had surgery and you're on an oral um, opioid like endone you, you've got to tell your client hey you know i've had foot surgery and i'm in a bit of pain so i've taken some endone per my prescription you got to disclose that yeah Wait. really Absolutely, um, and actually, uh, you, yeah, you have to disclose it to ACA for a start, part of your code of conduct. 
Um, but uh, you know, what what there'd be a, a, a strong possibility we'd actually be saying to the therapist, look, uh, you shouldn't be practicing whilst under the influence of endo, um, because you're as liable whilst you're under that, and also does it impact on your insurance? Do your insurers know? Um, yeah, but point. also alcohol. Uh, we have um, you're not allowed to practice um, within eight hours of drinking alcohol. Now, how many other professionals? Uh, they'll, they'll go to a party, drink to two o'clock in the morning, start work at eight o'clock or nine o'clock. Still be on the. We know people. People uh, we know through drink driving, people find out all the time. They get on the breath wise and go, oh, I didn't realise I was still under the influence because people don't understand how long alcohol stays in the system. Um, we have it written into our code of conduct. Got to be eight hours, no drinking or taking drugs between uh, seeing a client and you know whatever the, you, you've done it. So we've actually put that. You won't find that in any other code. Phil, I want to go. I want to go back to this dynamic of of relationships, and um, I want to play devil's advocate. So, so humor me. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm an engineer, so I can come into this with cold eyes. Um, so, you're a, a eligible counselor. Um, you you do not have a partner, and this person comes to see you, and you have a great rapport, and it's. It's an issue that you manage to resolve fairly quickly. L- let me play devil's advocate. Where's the huge power dynamic and why can't you, you know, reach out to them in a couple of months and and start exploring whether there could be anything there? Because you, because you have access to information about that person that's deeply, deeply personal that you would not normally have access to when you start a relationship with anybody. When you start cold uh, with a relationship with another person, it's uh, on an even playing field. Um, it's not one person knows everything about one uh, because that can be manipulated, even though you might not intentionally be manipulating it. Believe me, sooner or later it will come up. Oh, yeah, I can remember when you told me this and you told me that. And the but well, I said that in therapy. Um, that that will happen because in, inevitably we, we end up in arguments and disagreements with their partners. Um, and that will be thrown back. But also, as I said, it and you're not necessarily out there intentionally manipulating the information you have, but you've got access to information that they would have told you that is deeply personal at a very early stage of a relationship, which would be very abnormal to happen. That those sort of things generally, unless you want, it happens on TV and in movies. Very very rarely does it happen in real life uh, where somebody will come sit down next to you and just open up uh, and then you form a relationship. That That's not how it works. But also come back to what I said before, in a therapeutic relationship, we sit there and we've been totally non-judgmental um, and we're just listening. The person uh, has every reasonable reason to expect that to, make, to be maintained through the relationship. If that's what they've been exposed to and they're going into a relationship, that person says, oh, yeah, that was me. Um, so, and and we, we now have this, this uh, feeling for each other and I'm reciprocating, so I think we could have a really good relationship. It's not going to happen. It's just yeah. not going to happen. So um, let's say you are a clinician with ACA or maybe you're not. Maybe you're a psychologist and you have your own body or you're a, a mental health nurse or some, or some other version, a, a counsellor at a school or whatever, and um, that dynamic exists. What, what do you do? What's the next steps? Um, well, so if, you, if, you, if you do have a, a feeling of somebody, then, then uh, you know, the best thing to do is to refer them on. Um, I mean, obviously, the first thing we do is we, we, we put it on the table. We talk about it in, in the session. Um, if it's been reciprocated, then it becomes very difficult. Um, 
generally when we put on the table, it's because it's one-sided either we're feeling for the, the client or the client's feeling for us. Then you can talk through it, work through it, why is it happening? And obviously you're getting your supervision. If it's reciprocal, then, then you've got the problem is uh, rose-coloured glasses. Um, you know, what you're putting on the table is probably not the reality. Um, Phil, my palms are sweating just at the thought of that conversation. Like what, how does it go? <laughs> how do you say, um, hi, thanks so much for coming in today. Uh, like how, what, what words do you use? How do you say, what, what's the sentence? What's the... I mean, I'm sure there's people listening who are in this position going, yeah, I might need to have that conversation. What What do you say? Oh, well, you, you have to be, just be honest. Say, look, there's a dynamic that's crept in this this, uh, this professional relationship that we have. And, and I'm really starting to feel, um, feel some, some real emotions for you. And that's getting in the way because I can't do my job. Um, and I really need to go and talk to myself. And possibly I need counselling myself to find out what's going on. I need to understand what's going on and this is not about you this is about me and I have to understand what's happening to me and I can't do that with you you know you're not the therapist it's not your job um but I can't continue giving you or being the therapist for you because these feelings are getting in the way they're, they're obscuring my my vision I'm not seeing clearly um and also I may not be able to, and, and you know, being the devil's advocate like you were talking about before it's very it's very important in a session that you can do that very hard to do that for somebody you have feelings with um, you, know, you don't want to upset them, but also you might want to placate them so you're actually not challenging anymore. Uh, the challenges become very well. There's a lot of things that are going to get in the way of the therapy process. So you would, you would discuss that with your supervisor. And that would be the best process, would be going through the supervisor with it nine out of ten times. In that case, you would probably end up referring. And, you, and that's why you have to put it on the table. You've got to let the client know this is not about you. And I know we've done all this work and I know we've been doing this, that, and the other. Um, and, but I'm going to refer you. And I'm not referring you because you're... I, there is an issue with you. This is about me. And, I, and I'll be totally honest with you. So we need to talk this out because they'll try and talk you out of it and everything else. And it's about, look, I have professional codes and ethics and, and this is a lot more complex you know, because there's something happening within me I need to understand before possibly I should continue counselling. So you might have to go and get counselling yourself. Um, if, it's the, if it's the other way around, it's about putting on the table with the client and saying, you know, I, I get a feeling I can see, you know, your eyes light up, yeah, you, know, you can see that. The, uh, the 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 you know, the the eyeballs are growing and and the, their body language and everything is, is suggesting to you um, that um, that the relationship is beyond a professional relationship and and you know they can come in and their dress their dress code can start becoming a little bit less uh, lax uh, they might start wearing clothes a little bit more inappropriate uh, they might start telling you things um, and and a, 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 a uh, an obvious one is when they start telling you things about um, their sexual encounters, that, particularly if the relationship that you've got with them has nothing to do with that, which not out of 10 times it's not. Um, it could be a work bullying issue. And suddenly they're telling you about their sex life. Uh, they're giving you very intimate information that's not relevant. You sort of go, why are they doing this? And it might be because they're trying to woo you or whatever. So that, you just got to call that out. And, and a lot of times if you call that out early, it, you, you can maintain the relationship. Uh, and it can be healthy because you've set the boundary and the client knows the boundaries and, and they know this is a professional relationship. So that can really actually, it can be a real positive to, to lay it on the table. To not lay it on the table is just, uh, things are just going to get worse. Um, the, the, the client's going to misconstrue the, your non-response and they may feel challenged by that non-response and try harder. So what, what's an example of what that conversation might sound like? 
um, would be again. Um, look, yeah, you know, I have. I, I, I'm getting this feeling that you know that 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 uh, your relationship with me and, and the way you're talking to me, you, you know, you talk to me a lot about this or a lot about that, and that would suggest to me because it's nothing to do with the issue you're coming that maybe there's, there's some sort of attraction there. You know, is there uh, an attraction? And a lot of the time, the clients will be happy that you, that the elephants, you know, it's now out of the room that, that it, it's on the table, and they'll feel better for it. Which is your job as a therapist is to talk them through it in a uh, in a positive, constructive, non-critical manner. I mean, that's your job, um, and so you you should be able to do that regardless of what the nature of the uh, issue is. Um, and their attraction to you will be treated just the same as any other issue. Putting it on the table, talking it through, being rational saying, hey, I'm here for you. I'm still here for you. This doesn't change uh, therapy. I just need to be clear with you um, that, that I have boundaries uh, and I can't reciprocate and I'm not going to reciprocate. And really, we need to move uh, and, and talk more about what the real issue is and what you came to see me for in the first place. And so if that is a one-way street, if that's the client that's drawn to the clinician and, and not the other way around, it sounds like you're saying you can continue seeing, in most contexts, the client. In, 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 in a lot of cases, again, you would still want to discuss that with your supervisor um, and, uh, and and take it from there. But because the issue is not yours, the issue is the clients, and nine out of ten times the issues are the clients. That's why they're coming to see you. You can deal with it. Um, it's only when you start reciprocating or you feel um, you know, that you're responding, that's when you as a therapist have got problems. And if you're listening and you're seeing someone and you've developed feelings for them, the clinician hasn't picked it up and they haven't had that conversation that you've mapped out or whatever variation of it they may do. Um, what sort of, what? why should you think about mentioning it to the clinician next time you see them versus just not mentioning it and hoping it might go away or resolve or just not be a big issue? Or, or could you? Could you just not mention it? Look, if, I mean, look, if you're an adult, um, uh, yeah, I mean... You don't need to, there is nothing saying you have to mention the clinician if you don't think it's getting in the way. As adults, we we can have people in the workplace that we work with um, and we have a perfectly professional relationship, but we think, yeah, they're reasonably attractive. Um, but you can put it in the space where it belongs. Um, you don't act on it. And, and that's, the, that's the difference is you're not acting on it. If, if you can go through the, the process without acting on it, then that's fine because it's, a lot of times, it's not like somebody comes down and asks us, for our permission to suddenly have feelings for people. You know, it happens, it's, it's, a, it's a chemical process uh, and the reason why it happens, so it's not like we set out to do it. And if it happens, why should that suddenly get in the way of things if you know what to do with it uh, and put it in the right place? And, and this is why you know, we, we have uh, you know, the difference between uh, a lot of criminals and non-criminals is uh, you know, we, we know uh, what to act on and what not to act on. So we have that self-discipline to know, shouldn't do that, to do that would be wrong. There's repercussions as opposed to somebody who's unable to uh, to have that discipline to, to stop sort of, which is you know, why, why we have children and we, we bring them up the way we do and we tell them about boundaries. Same same situation. There you go. What to do when you fall in love with your therapist. Is there anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is there anything yeah. we've, we've missed, Phil? Is there anything that um, you still want to cover? Um, not really. It, it, it is a complex, complex issue um, and, and it happens. Uh, my, my only advice to anybody would be uh, don't pretend it's not happening. Um, if it's happening, see your supervisor if you're the therapist and, um, and work through it with the client because it's not fair to the client. If, uh, if it's the client, um, it, it's, a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more complex, particularly depending on why they're coming to see you in the first place. Perfect. 
Phil, thank you for your time and your thoughts. Really appreciate it. No worries, Warren. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's it for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Phil Armstrong. If you'd like to connect with a mental health professional, please check out talklink.com.au today. Keep well and see you soon.